Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Most Fridays, I re release one of my favorite conversations from the archive. So, unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just might get something completely different from it listening to it this time around. I just have to remember that, you know, this is their life to be lived, and that, you know, whether he's differently wired or not, He's a human being who was born resilient and we all are, you know, we are, we are born for struggle to survive struggle. And I try to remember too, and be grateful that he has a mother that can't protect him from the pain, but I am definitely a soft place for him to land when he has pain. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm talking with a dear friend of mine and fellow mom in the trenches, Andrea Owen. Andrea and I met many years ago through our advocacy work on behalf of teens and young women, and since then, Andrea has gone on to become a high-profile life coach and the founder of her business, Your Kick-Ass Life. She also hosts the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, which has over 170 episodes out now, and is the author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. Her new book comes out this January, and I can't say the whole title because my podcast has a clean rating, but it's called How to Stop Feeling Like, another word for crap, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. As a coach, Andrea is focused on helping high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choosing courage and confidence instead. And as a mother, Andrea is raising her own differently wired son, one who, incidentally, though a few years younger, actually shares the same birthday as Asher. In our conversation, Andrea takes us inside her own parenting journey and shares how she's navigated her own baggage and sticky spots in coming to terms with who her son is. As someone who is dedicated to helping women lead their most fulfilled lives, Andrea has had to walk the walk. And today she opens up about what that process has looked like for her and shares her wisdom for how the rest of us can do that too. And before I get to the episode, a little reminder that in two weeks time, I'm releasing a special episode with Dr. Ross Green, the author of The Explosive Child and the person behind the Collaborative and Proactive Solutions model. I'd love your help spreading the word and helping get that episode listened to by more people. If you want to do that, make sure you sign up for the Tilt Parenting Facebook page at facebook.com slash Tilt Parenting. When the episode comes out, I'll be posting some simple graphics that you can share with your friends and on Facebook groups. Thank you so much. And now I'll get on with the show. Hello, Andrea. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you are here. You and I have known each other for many years, and we've had a lot of conversations about our differently wired kiddos during some darker moments of our lives. We have. But for our listeners, would you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are and about your kids and specifically your differently wired kiddo? Yeah. um, Well, I'm Andrea Owen. And first and foremost, I'm a mom, and I'm also an author and life coach. And my son is my differently wired child. I, have, I also have a seven-year-old daughter and my son is nine. He actually shares a birthday with Asher. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, so he'll be 10 the summer of, of 2017. And his diagnosis officially came when he was five, I believe. It was, it was the same year that they dropped Asperger's 
from the DSM. Mm -hmm. So his official diagnosis is high-functioning autism with sensory processing disorder and anxiety disorder. And that happened when he was about um, about to start kindergarten. And now he's in, we're just finishing up third grade. Wow. Okay. And what kind of school is he going to? He's in a regular mainstream elementary school, public school now. And we've I've had conversations with you about, you know, should we send him to a private school? Should we send him to, there's actually a school here near where we live that is just for children with high functioning autism. We looked into that extensively and considered it, but we have had, we have turned a corner in third grade, actually of all the grades, you know, cause so many parents said third grade is when it all starts to fall apart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, because second grade was really rough for us. Mm. And I could talk about that, but, um, we have really turned a corner this past year and things have gone really well for him. We've had a lot of interventions over the years, some which we're not even sure if they worked or not. And um, just last week, we had an end of year IEP meeting that was the best IEP meeting we've ever had. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. We're in this season of an upswing. I mean, as you know, with these kids, it can be, you can go through seasons where you know, you have a setback and then other times it can be really great. And this has been our longest streak of things going really well. And so I'm, I'm trying to lean into the joy of it instead of bracing myself for the setback. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Asher used to have these regressive periods and they sometimes his regressions would last like three months or, or longer. And then when one day I'd realize, oh my God, the regression's over, but I was so afraid of it returning <laughs> that I never enjoyed that little break that we had. Yeah, it's it's hard to, for me, in my experience, it's been hard to stay in gratitude. And, and you know, being someone that works in personal development, I know how important this is, but, you know, first and foremost, I'm a human. Yes. <laughs> I'm a mother. I'm a really wired child. And and so I, I still find it tricky to stay really excited about all of his progress. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back. I'd love to just hear when you knew something was going on and what that process was like for you and what that looked like for you personally as you discovered, oh, this is not really what I yeah. thought this was going to look like. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he was born in 2007 and I, I feel like that was really the height of the debate about autism and vaccinations. I mean, remember, remember when that was really huge mm, and that mm -hmm. kind of exploded in the media yeah. and that was, that was when it was. So I was, I was very, um, I was doing a lot of research about it and, and, and really into that. And I was a first time mom too. So he was born and he seemed like a, a totally normal child. And he was always very, um, he was always much more of an observer. I, you know, I had him in like a, like a baby mom and baby group. And even when the little ones, his age were starting to crawl, he was, he was late to crawl and walk. And he would always just kind of like sit back and watch all the other kids. He's never been just personality wise. He's never been kind of like a quote unquote, typical rowdy little boy, rough mm -hmm. and tumble little boy. And then when he was a toddler, I noticed he was always very cautious. We called him like the cautious child and very serious as well. And and, but never really, no alarm bells really were raised until he was about probably four. And what happened that year was that his sister, who's two years younger than him, she was around two years old. And I was noticing that her 
we thought, my husband and I thought that she was just like this genius child. We thought she was like <laughs> this just amazing, like athlete, you know, she was two. It well, turns out she was normal. <laughs> and, and he, um, of course we think she's extra special, but she, she was just doing things as normal toddlers do. And our son was not. Mm. And also I noticed there were some red flags for me. I noticed when I would take them to the park, I would be relieved when there was no one else there. Mm. Because it was painful for me to watch him try and interact with other children. You know, he would obsess on certain games and try to play with kids and repeat himself over and over again. Like, let's play fireman. I'm the chief. Let's play fireman. I'm the chief and follow them around. And he wasn't understanding when kids were walking away from him and, or, or even saying like, we don't want to play that. And I kind of, I mean, you know, you have that kind of feeling but I didn't, I didn't want it to be true. But at the same time, I knew something was wrong. And coincidentally, his preschool teacher, we started to have some problems in preschool with the other children and, and Colton was having outbursts about, um, you know, things not going his way or, or kids playing with things that he always wanted to play with. And his preschool teacher happened to be a retired special education teacher. And I'll never forget the day she called me. I was standing at the kitchen sink, peeling a potato. And she said, she was telling me about something that had happened that day. And she said, I've been wanting to tell you this for a couple of weeks now. And I don't know how else to say it, except that I think you should have him tested. Hmm. And it was, you know, those moments you have like that out-of-body experience where everything kind of slows down and it's just like tunnel vision. And, And that was one of those moments. I remember, you know, there was things going on around me and I couldn't hear anything except that and just thinking not my baby. Like I can't, I just, I just felt just crushed. But at the same time, it was a mixture of this, you know, my heart just breaking as well as a little bit of relief Mm -hmm. that we might have an answer and he might be able to get help. And all the puzzle pieces kind of started to fall into place about what might be going on with him. So we went through the whole process and we got his diagnosis and yeah, it's been a wild ride emotionally for myself and for my husband and for our marriage and for my son as well. Mm-hmm. I totally relate to that moment. And I'm sure that so many listeners do too. And and I'm sure that was difficult too for your teacher. It's always kind of tricky for people to make that suggestion, especially if and it hasn't been brought up before, you know, mm-hmm. that I think there might be something going on here. It's not a, an easy call to make. Yeah, I know. And, but I'm, I'm grateful for her for it. I, I eventually would have, it eventually would have happened, but I don't know if it would have happened that quickly. Right, right. So for you personally, you said you were crushed and you were a little relieved. I'm just curious. For me, I remember having a, a serious resistance to, you know, this isn't really what's going on at the same time while I was researching everything and buying every book I could. But I still I was I kind of went into combat mode, like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see about this. You know, <laughs> um, what was that like for you, like your own process of of coming to a place of acceptance or really surrendering like, okay, this is what's going on? I think, you know, from like logistical standpoint, I didn't have that much resistance. I was I, I jumped in feet first to his testing. It was it was very expensive at the time. The route that we went, it wasn't covered at all by insurance. And um, that part I didn't have too much resistance to. I think I, I, I was I was ready. I was really I was ready and um, I think my husband is had a little bit more resistance to it. My husband had 
the thought that he was, um, it was just a behavioral issue and that we needed to find a different way to discipline him. So that was the the first year or two, it, it definitely caused a strain. I think honestly, what kind of got my feathers the most ruffled was the reaction of other people around me. And I was grieving and it was tricky to be in this. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to like what you said about, I went into, productivity mode. I went, I researched all the things I got, you know, the best doctors. I was, I was going to do this right for him. But at the same time I was, I was grieving. And when I would tell people how I was feeling, I was met with reactions like, well, he's always going to be the same kid. And, um, I even got one girl said to me, well, at least he's verbal. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. like the, it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it, I just kept every, I felt like everywhere, or, or people were telling me about changing his diet and, and all these things to fix it. And, and while I appreciated that, I felt like it was so rare to find someone who would say, yeah, that sucks. And I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. And that must be so crushing. And, and that's why I turned to you, like you were the only person I knew, and we didn't even live in the same state. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had met once years ago. Yeah. And I just I felt like I felt really lonely. But you know, there's I know that there's parents all over the world who are struggling with this. And so I really struggled with finding support emotionally in in it and and really going through the grief of it and allowing myself to grieve this while at the same time going to bat for my son. Yeah, it is a lonely place to be, especially when you're just really trying to wrap your head around what's going on and just interesting reactions that that you got a lot of what I would get is, well he seems fine to me, yes. right? You know, he seems normal and like okay, that is the probably least helpful thing you could say right now. But yeah. Thanks. yeah, it is a very isolating place to be. And hopefully, the more the people, you know, talk about things and are open about it, then it will become less something that we keep to ourselves. I think a lot of people don't even talk about it. So you don't even know, right, who in your community is dealing with this, because a lot of people keep it behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. I find even, you know, it's only been a few years later. I, I just met someone, I was on a, I was chaperoning a field trip for my daughter's class and was, and happened to strike up a conversation with a woman. And she casually mentioned that one of her other children is on the spectrum. And, and this happens to me like fairly often. I don't know if it's an energy mm-hmm. <laughs> that we mm-hmm. put out, if we, if we happen to find each other. And I mean, it happens to me probably like once a quarter. And I, I've, I have found that the stigma is going down and that, parents are more likely to talk to each other about it, I think, even than they were just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I agree. And maybe that's just because I'm surrounded by people who talk about it. But it definitely seems like it's, or at least when I tell people what's going on in our family, I don't, I get better responses. You know, it's more just like, oh, that's interesting. You know, it, it doesn't really shift or change anything dramatically. It's just another part of who my child is. Absolutely. So, you know, my husband and I just did an episode a few weeks ago. Um, I brought him on the show for the very first time. He was admittedly quite nervous, but we have been through a lot as a couple in trying to just figure out the dynamic of how we could parent together. And as the primary caregiver and the one in charge of most, everything. yeah, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, 
that was difficult for a, a number of years because I was slowly building up resentment that he wasn't on the same page to a point where I felt like he was undoing all the good I was doing during the day by not meeting my standard of how he should be parenting and supporting Asher. So would you mind just telling us a little bit, you said that your husband had some resistance and maybe thinking this was more a behavioral issue. Have you guys come to a place where you're feeling more in alignment and that you're working together in supporting Colton? We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. It was not easy in the beginning. And I, I, I read somewhere too that parents of special needs children have a higher divorce rate. And I'm not surprised at all. I think that it has the ability to bring you closer or drive you apart. And 
I, I went through a period where my son became my first priority and my marriage was not. And I just thought to myself, you know what, this, this, again, this season that I'm going through and I will circle back in a minute, but <laughs> I can't, you know, I, I run a business, I have two children and it was, it was a lot to handle right then and there. And so what has helped us tremendously is uh, I was diagnosed actually with severe anxiety disorder when I was 26 or 27 and was put on medication for several years. And so I know what that feels like. In fact, before Colton's diagnosis, I watched him have a panic attack at a children's museum that was very crowded, uh, as you can probably imagine <laughs> what happened. And and I'm watching it happen and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I know exactly what's happening. And so I had had many talks with my husband about what it feels like to be someone, you know, and like, this is not a choice that he's making. He, it's not a a won't, it's a can't Mm -hmm. and, and asking him to do research on his own instead of me lecturing him about what it is. And quite frankly, I didn't have the time and energy and compassion to do that for him. So I had to be really mindful about having reasonable and kind conversations with, with him because my tendency was to, let it build up and get resentful and then lash out at my husband over something that either didn't have anything to do with our son or just kind of throw up everything at him about our son and be blaming and things like that, which wasn't fair. I I wasn't asking for what I needed in a kind way. And, you know, because nobody wants to listen to you like when you're yelling at them. And (laughs) that's just like communication 101. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I had to realize that and and have intentional conversations with him like on date night or on a Sunday afternoon, like not when it was an emergency. And, and that was hugely helpful. And he always said like, I'll support you guys. You just need to tell me what you need. And I had to surrender some things because I was, I realized I had like a tight grip on everything and didn't want to, didn't want to give anything up. And so how is that fair either? If I'm not, if I'm unwilling to do that. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of compromise on, on my end and, and surrendering and, and realizing that it's better for my son to have his father be a part of his improvement rather than his mother being a control freak about everything and having his father just kind of like flailing along for the ride. Yeah. So it's like, I had to look at it from a different perspective. I had to push my ego aside and I had to really look at us as a unit, which being the selfish person that I am and <laughs> being the mama bear that I am is not always easy. I do it um, sometimes very, I make a mess and I've learned the, the art of apologizing. And uh, it's been, it's been good for our marriage. It's been hard, but in the end, it's been good. Yeah. I so relate to everything that you just said. I mean, I think that similarly, I was very very controlling and feeling like I'm the one who's doing this right. And I almost got into very protective of Asher in in everything, taking his side, intervening. And, and I also feel like I related to the way he was feeling almost. And maybe you did the same with Colton because of you sharing the, the anxiety piece and you being able to really put yourself in his shoes. So when you feel so kind of fused or enmeshed with your child and what's going on, it does become almost like a us against the world in yeah. some ways. And then when your partner's outside that circle, that's not a great situation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that that's something, again, I don't, a lot of people just don't talk about. And it is a 
tremendous strain on relationships. And I think we need to kind of be open about that. So people don't see our mm-hmm. Facebook family. And think, oh, <laughs> right. Oh, no, I'm a huge fan of marriage counseling marriage counseling. I, I'm not afraid to say has helped my marriage so much, if not saved it. And when you're going around in circles around the same issue over and over again, nobody is willing to see the other side. It's as if it's like two polarizing political views are married to each other, which can, that can be the case too, but like, you're not going to convince each other of the other side. And when you're in that state of your marriage, I, I don't like to say people have to do things, but I would say like you have to <laughs> seek help outside of your marriage, like whether it's someone who specializes with, with this or not, but it's can be so incredibly helpful to have that outside Absolutely. mediator. Someone who's not invested in one of you individually. Exactly. For sure. So I have another question because you are a coach and and an author who's written a lot about our inner critic. And it just made me think about, you know, I have a very loud and obnoxious inner critic who has a lot to say about all the ways I screw up on a daily basis about the way I'm raising my child and the choices I make. And when I lose my cool, even though I know I'm supposed to keep it together. So for you personally, as someone who that's a lot of your work is surrounding helping people learn about what's going on inside their head. How has that been for you in relationship to parenting your son? It's been huge because, you know, the way I teach inner critic work is I ask people to break down the different parts of their lives. So, you know, I I mostly, I, I work with women, but you know, this, it's the same with men too. And, and typically with women, our inner critic is the loudest in the area of like our appearance and our, in our body. That's a huge shame trigger for women. But I think the next one after that is parenting. And it, it definitely is for me. It's my biggest trigger. And I have to absolutely walk my own talk and, and use my own tools. And, and what I have found to be really helpful is I'll give you an example. So this happened a couple of years ago, but it's still clear as day. We, it was during second grade when, um, I think it was in first grade. I can't remember which it was, but we had had, I had had a not so great IEP meeting. And if anyone's been to an IEP meeting where you walk out and you feel like you just got beat up, like you feel like the entire hour was spent reading a list of all the ways that your child is wrong. Let me read to you all the ways that your child is measuring up. And I have, and I have numbers, I have a scale and we're going to tell you how far he falls on the left and not being good enough. And, and that is just, I mean, brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And, And I think many parents would say like, I'd rather someone tell me the ways, all the ways I'm screwing mm-hmm. up rather than tell me how my child isn't measuring up. So I had walked away from one of those meetings and I was in the car and I was at a red light and my mind started to get away from me. And I was saying things to myself, like, I can't believe I haven't looked into, I think what had happened is I found out about some nonprofit organizations that are helpful for parents, just in, just in advocating. And, and so there's so many different resources that I didn't even know about because we had come out of a season where things were really good and then things went awry. And I'm telling myself, I can't believe I did not know about these organizations ahead of time. I should have been on top of this. I'm smarter than this. I haven't even done like a 5k for autism awareness. I haven't even raised any money. Like what kind of parent am I? I went down well, that road. Like, yeah. I haven't even donated any money (laughs) and just every possible way, you know, every bat I could pick up about my son and the way that I'm failing him as his mother, 
I was thinking of it. And, you know, and it was just, you know, how long do you sit at a red light? Not that long. And I was totally lost in thought. And then as the light turned green, I remember thinking to myself, okay, you know what, this isn't helpful at all. It doesn't help me become a better parent. It's not helping my son. And I need to give myself a break. I am doing the best that I can and I can do better and here to hear the way. So it's, it's really, and, and trust me when I tell you, I have been working on this for nearly a decade of learning how to speak to myself in a different matter and learning how to listen for that voice that tells me I'm terrible or not good enough mm-hmm. or failing. And I don't expect anyone listening who's never done this work before to be able to do that the next time you're at a red light, beating yourself up. But it is, you know, if I could just give you like two pieces of advice, it's first, you need to know that you're in it because some people will spin in that place for hours or days or months. So for me, it's about catching myself in those moments and then just acknowledging it. So that's really the first step is just saying like, okay, I hear that voice and I'm going to choose to go in a different direction. So that's inner critic lesson 101. That's such an important lesson. And yeah, there's so much more. We we'll do we could do a whole episode on on that as it relates to parenting. But <laughs> all right, so that that still happens to you then. Absolutely. Yeah, and especially and it depends on where you are in your life. I mean, maybe your career is something that is hugely tr- triggering or your marriage or your friendships or your past. I know some people have stuff that happened in their past that they still drag around and beat themselves up for and but I know for a lot of people listening it's probably parenting. Yeah, absolutely. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. 
I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I, I wanted to just go back to education for a minute. You said you've had a really good third grade year, second grade mm-hmm. kind of crashed and burned. So, um, and I'm really just intrigued that you, uh, you are in a public school and that you're making that work. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe any bumps that you had along the way or, or any things that have worked especially well that parents listening could get some ideas or inspiration from? Yeah, I think that we, what has helped us so much in the public school system is we started first grade and we had just moved to the state of North Carolina. Um, My husband and I originally from California, that's where both of our kids were born. When they were three and one, we moved to the state of Utah, which is where he was diagnosed and he attended kindergarten there. And then we moved to North Carolina and this is where we plan to stay. And we've been here for, for several years, but he started first grade and we, I think we just got kind of lucky with his teacher. She was incredible and really great for him, the way she structured things. And then when we went to second grade, we moved communities. And so we had to switch schools again. And this all happened in the summer. So he was never in the middle of the year switching schools. And he stayed in the same school district. But again, it was a new school for second grade. And the teacher was not a great match at all. Of course, the school knew about his diagnosis and tried to place him, but they didn't know him. (laughs) And um, there was also some conflicts with some other kids in the class. And it just, it just wasn't a good match. And it was just really rough. Also, I should mention when we finished second grade, I mean, it was bad, Debbie, like every day I would pick him up from school. And, and it was, it was anywhere from him being in a bad mood to him crying. Like those were the two options. And he was very much like a half glass empty kid. And sometimes he still is, but you know, like one bad thing would happen and it would destroy the rest of the day, even if the rest of the day was good. And he would only focus on that bad thing that happened. That was second grade in a nutshell. And then the summer between second grade and third grade. So this was last summer. It was July. And I, you know, had heard a lot about changing his diet and when he was a toddler, he had some GI problems. As Even when he was a newborn, he had problems. And so I um, had him tested for celiac disease, um, which came back negative. So that happened when he was about three. So I had always doubted that it had anything to do with his gut. But last summer, you know, at that point he was eight and he loved science and he was old enough to understand and grasp the, grasp the concept of proteins and um, brain science and things like that. So I sat him down and explained to him about gluten and what sometimes can happen to people and leaky gut syndrome. And he was fascinated by it. And I said, why don't we do this as an experiment and see what happens? Because I had the kid too, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to where he would only eat like five different things. And I didn't want to starve my child. I, I knew that it was going to be more of a battle than it was worth. So that's why I had waited for so long. But last July, I explained it to him. I said, let's do it for maybe 30 or 60 days and see what happens. And we'll go shopping together. And um, I I said, ultimately, it's up to you. But I think that this might help. 
And he said, okay. And so we did it. And I hate to sound really dramatic about it, but it changed our life. Mm. And he changed dramatically. So we're, um, we're, you know, rounding out to about a year now and we're not sure if it's just maturity. You know, he turned nine, he's getting a little bit more mature. Um, or if it's the diet, like, I don't care which one it is, I'll take it. (laughs) And his third grade teacher, um, he also has an incredible special education case manager and, um, she was just really great in getting him the best third grade teacher. And she's been super and, I mean, he's on the honor roll now and um, excel. <laughs> yeah. And we, we asked him too, if he wanted to try to eat some gluten just to like, see what would happen because it might not be it. Cause it might also just be like the dyes that were also removed as a result. <laughs> and so I was kind of telling him that and I'm like, you might be gluten tolerant. Like we, let's, do you want to see? And he said, no, I don't, doesn't even want to try it. And that's, I, I, I kind of lost track of the question, but I, I felt like it was important to mention because, and I know that it's not the case for everyone. I, I know I have friends who have similar diagnosis to my son who have removed gluten and saw no changes. Yeah. So I do think it depends on the child. And, but for us, it's been, it's been really awesome. That is very interesting. I mean, I've, I've heard that and that, that is one of my inner critics loudest things is you're not doing enough, you know, <laughs> in terms of your diet, kid's yeah. diet, but it's one of the things I've always just said, I have too many other things I'm dealing with. I can't take that on right now, but um, we have gotten healthier here, but that is so interesting. And and I know that that, that happens. So I'm not surprised to hear that. And it's really, it's really cool. And I imagine that if, or when you're not in that kind of flight or fight mode constantly, then you can actually make some great growth leaps too. Yeah. It's, it's opened up. It, it's like the whole mood in our house has changed too. So every once, I mean, he's not perfect. Every once in a while, he has a bad day because he's human. And now it, it jars us because I think that we remember that that was our normal, just him always being grumpy. When he was, a, when he was an infant, we nicknamed him Mr. Fussy Von Grumpy <laughs> because he was just always pissed off. Like he was just always mm-hmm. in a bad mood. And now I wonder if that was it because he was he was gluten intolerant. And I mean, everything from he looks at the camera when I take his picture, he makes better eye contact. Even just the other night, we went out to dinner and he, we're sitting there waiting for our table to be called and he's sitting next to me and he put his arm on my shoulder and leaned on me. Mm. Like, like unsolicited affection would have never happened. Like when you would ask him for a hug, he would just lean in and he wouldn't even put his arms around you. Like I would have to like grab his arms and put him around me. And I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but I get unsolicited affection and uh, just his focus is better. And, and he even tells us that his focus is better at school. His teacher sent me, he would never participate in class. And his teacher sent me uh, a couple weeks ago, a video of him going up to the front of the class at the whiteboard and doing an entire math problem from start to finish in front of the class. I was floored. Wow. Like this is my child. And again, like we're not sure if he's just growing up or if the interventions from before have worked or if it's the gluten. I mean, who knows? Sometimes you just kind of like throw in a bunch of variables and like see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I, Second grade was our year from hell. And then I homeschooled from third grade on. So, um, you know, we noticed each year there's more regulation and more connection and just a completely different child now. And it, it's hard to know what is 
just a maturity, what is, you know, what's really going on here. But Julie George, who we worked with, a therapist we worked with from the UW Autism Center, I would talk to her and she'd be like, oh, it's just going to keep getting better. Debbie, you haven't even gotten to the really good years yet. I'm like, really? Awesome. You know? <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. so great to hear. I love hearing that unsolicited affection and just those moments I know are so important, especially when you have a child who, when they were younger, you didn't know if that was ever going to happen. So that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was just telling my husband the other day, we were, we were at our community pool and, and I was standing in the the snack bar line by myself. And there was this group of, of teenage boys and there was maybe four of them. They looked like they were like 14 or 15 years old. And I'm watching them interact with each other. And And then I start to get nervous and I start thinking like, how is my son going to be? Like, I can't imagine my son interacting with other boys like that. Like it just is so, it just doesn't seem like my son. And I went back and was talking to my husband and I was telling him what I was seeing. And and I'm like, I'm just worried about him, you know, and and my husband just listens. And then I think, and then I told, I said out loud, I said, I think I, I worry about him more than he will ever need to be worried about. Like, I think he'll be just Mm -hmm. fine. And my husband just smiles and thoughts. But I don't know if that ever goes away, you know, even if you have a neurotypical child. I was just going to say, we don't get the license on this. I know every parent has that concern or, you know, just all those rites of passage. And, and it's so hard to to just imagine what it's going to look like as they get older. But that brings me to another question. I'm really interested in helping people recognize their own personal triggers. Like what what you just mentioned is one of my personal triggers mm-hmm. when I see groups of teenagers his age engaging in things and then I see my child not engaging in any of them. It you know, I know it's tapping into my own baggage, my leftover teen baggage, but it, it's a big mm-hmm. trigger for me. Do you have any any triggers like that that are guaranteed to get Absolutely. I have the same one. And I think too, because I have a neurotypical child. And so I see her interacting as a quote unquote normal child. And she has a lot of friends and she gets invited to all the birthday parties and she has sleepovers and Colton just not interested in that. And he's had a couple of play dates, which I've been the planner of, and they've, they've been fine. But I think that's too why I get triggered because I, you know, when watching those teenage boys the other day, I can totally imagine my daughter being a normal teenage girl and doing all the things that teenage girls do. Like no, there's no doubt in my mind that she's going to be just fine. But, but thinking about my son doing that, I get hugely triggered. And like you were saying, it brings back all of my, you know, for me, it was middle school was awful. And I'm like, oh my God, how is seventh grade going to, he's going to be in braces. He's got this cowlick, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to be bad? And I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but I have found that I care about his social status and so, like all of that way more than he does. Like, like we were talking about his birthday because it's tricky because he's an August birthday. And so he's not in school when it's his birthday. And I said, do you want us to maybe like give invitations out at the very end of the school year to, for your friends so we can like plan your birthday way ahead of time? And he thought about it and he was like, not really. What if we just do like something fun with us, just our family? And, 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 you know, that's me getting triggered and like thinking that he has to have these friends. And they, I'm, I'm the hovering mom in that way with his social yeah. stuff because that still is a little bit hard for him. But again, what it comes down to is that he doesn't come home and cry about it or say like, nobody likes me or everybody hates me. And he, he did that in second grade, but it just, and I don't even think that that was true, that everybody hated him. I just think he was just struggling more. 
but it's, it's, it's my stuff. And for, I just have to remember, and my husband gently reminds me too. Sometimes he just, he lets me talk it out that, you know, this is their life to be lived and that, you know, whether he's differently wired or not, he's a human being who was born resilient and we all are, you know, we are, we are born for struggle to survive struggle. And I try to remember too, and be grateful that he has a mother that can't protect him from the pain, but I am definitely a soft place for him to land when he has pain. Like both of my children know they can come to me when anything happens and I cannot fix it for them, but I can be there to, again, like just be there for them and, and be a witness to their pain as excruciating as that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I've had to work tremendously on my own stuff in order to get to a place where I can, you know, what we call in this business, hold space for someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's been a hard lesson to learn, but one that I've, I've wanted from day one for them. Yeah. It's one thing to hold space for clients and it's another thing to hold space for your children. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was so well said though. I, I love that. And, and it is such a reminder that that our kids are resilient, and they will be fine. You know, if we can get out of our own way, (laughs) just love them and support them. That's awesome. So I have one more question for you. And that is, I'm asking this of a lot of parents, and I'm, I'm very curious about it, but also because of of the business that you're in. Can you talk a little bit about self care? And, you know, I'm a huge advocate of self care, and I take it when I need it. So how do how do you take care of yourself? I take care of myself by a few different things. You know, I for a while, I was really sort of hell bent on being in a an in-person support group for other parents of differently wired kids. And then I kind of felt like, you know what, I don't want to talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, and I, and I do still participate somewhat, but I really make it a point to get together with my friends and, um, just do mom things, you know, like go shopping and, um, and, and do things that don't have anything to do with my children. And, also working on my marriage. I, again, whether your kids are, are on the spectrum or not, I think that it, when they are of a certain age, it is so difficult to survive marriage Mm -hmm. if you're not actively working on it. And I have found that my children are happier when my husband and I are in a good place. You know, they feel safer. They know when we are tense with each other or are not, or not connecting. And, I I want them to feel safe and I want to give them that gift of their parents having a good marriage. And so that's another way that I take care of myself is maintaining a strong relationship with my husband and, and, you know, just the usual stuff that you hear about all the time, like making sure that I work out and those types of things. And and I'm a writer and making sure that I I get some writing time in that's not for work. (laughs) It's actually like for pleasure and reading and, and those types of things that we hear about all the time. Super important. Thank you for answering that and, and sharing. And I also, love your response about working on your relationship or just kind of being in partnership with your husband as part of your self care. That's such a good reminder. It's something I I'm just realizing I'm so busy right now, because I'm on this deadline. And I have so little Mm -hmm. time for myself. My saving grace is just grabbing a podcast and going for a a quick walk. But I've been like, do you want to come with me to my husband and just like walking a few blocks hand in hand is that is definitely some self care right there in that same way. 
Yeah. I just think it so quickly can run away from us. You know, like I, I was on a writing deadline as well. And there were a few weeks where I was working during the day. And then as soon as my husband would come home, you know, we were like, we would high five in the hallway and I would head out to the coffee shop to continue to work. And I was working on Saturdays and Sundays. And there were weeks that would go by where I feel like I barely saw him. And that can, that can go downhill really fast. I've noticed that that feeling of disconnection and then it just kind of like breeds kind of like when you don't work out and then you feel really unmotivated. And then, you know, it's like in my marriage, I'm like, well, he hasn't really done anything. He hasn't expressed any gratitude to me. He hasn't reached out and texted me during the day. Why should I, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why should I be the one to try so hard? And, and again, and my ego gets in the way and I, I have to just really um, remember that, that we are a family unit and, there's more to this family than just me. Yes. <laughs> and, and and it's okay that I'm that I'm actually making an effort and and it's all for it's all for good. So yeah. That's great. This conversation has been just so interesting to me personally. I mean, we've talked about these issues before, but I always consider things in a different way after we chat and I know that our listeners are going to be inspired to think differently and have picked up some good nuggets. I also have a feeling they're going to want to check out your podcast and your website to hear more about the way that you think about things and your work regarding your inner critic and all those things. So would you mind telling us how people can track you down? Yeah, the the inner critic work is they can download. I have a free ebook and audio that's at yourkickasslife.com. And then the podcast, if you just go to iTunes or where you're, wherever you get your podcasts and search for your kick-ass life podcast. Um, you can find it there. And listeners, I will leave links to Andrea's website, her podcast and her book as well on the show notes page. So you can check out all of the goodness that is Andrea Owen. And uh, Andrea, thank you so much for just sharing your story. I really appreciate all of the time that you took to walk us through your personal story. Again, it's inspiring and it helps other parents feel like they're not crazy and that they're not alone and yeah. and that there's a lot of us going through this and and it can actually it can actually be something that improves marriages and and lives and builds builds from there. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure this hour has flown by and I always love talking to you and just so grateful for the work that you're doing out in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Till Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Andrea's website, her podcast, her books, and the other resources we talked about, visit tillparenting.com slash session 79. If you get value out of this podcast and would like to support us, there are a couple easy ways to help. One is to help sponsor the podcast through my Patreon campaign. Patreon is a simple membership platform that allows listeners like you to make a small monthly contribution to fund the show. If you want to help us, visit patreon.com slash tillparenting. The other way is to be sure and rate and review the podcast on iTunes and help me spread the word. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Till Parenting, visit www.tillparenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.